0: This is who you know, Uh, and this is Dmitry Samarov, if you didn't know. Um, For the last uh, episode of the show for the year 2022, I'm sharing uh, some readings from a work in progress. Uh, I'm not sure what the name of this book will be, Uh, it may be To Whom It May Concern, it may be Dear Blank. Don't know yet, uh, but um, reading excerpts from uh, writing them, working on is sort of a crucial part of the editing process, and I figured I would share. Um, I'm not going to say so much about uh, the subject matter, uh, but as far as structure goes. Uh, This is a series of letters, uh, which are responses to actual letters that I've uh, received over the last 34 years of my life, Um, but written from the point of view of the present day me or some version thereof. Um, I hope you enjoy it. And uh, thank you for listening to any of the episodes the previous episodes that I've recorded uh, I'm not sure what I'll do with this uh, with this show in the next year but uh, stay tuned okay. dear ass I spent the last few hours rereading your letters. I have them bundled together and bound with silver string in the back of a desk drawer. They followed me to a house and three apartments since we lost touch. By the time your mother called to tell me you died, we hadn't spoken a couple of years. Our friendship, if that's what it was, cost us both plenty. Two broken marriages, dozens of friends estranged, so many drunken blurry nights and days. We only worked in counterpoint to our other entanglements. Our bonds served to torpedo the success of any connection to others. Yet we were never enough for one another. I was never what you wanted. There were times when I would talked myself into believing I was in love with you. But the truth is, I was just lonely and you were there and vulnerable. And I felt like you needed me. It wasn't physical attraction. You were every other guy's type, but not mine. My pile of letters is out of sequence. I took the time to gather yours aside from other correspondence, but didn't bother to order it. Perhaps it isn't necessary. The themes recur and recur and recur. Whatever guy you're with falls in love with you and you're shocked and put out. You can't understand why they can't just be friends without needing to fuck you the frequency of your writing always increases when the paramour du jour is pressuring you into commitment you don't want or need you always leave the door or window open a crack for your other admirers when things get serious with the one you're with we get along best when you're far away Face-to-face contact confuses things. In letters and phone calls, the ties that bind us can remain beautiful and clean. Dear M, I like getting postcards from your travels. I hope you find what you're looking for. I wish what you were looking for was me, but no it isn't, no matter how much I want it to be. You can't make someone love you. It's not enough to tell them or show them if they don't feel anything in return. I know I mean something to you, but what is it? It feels faint, distant. Siberia or the Twilight Zone, maybe. It's a banishment, no matter how posh the accommodations. No way out without severing all contact. But sitting here waiting and hoping galaxies away from you i can't cut the cord completely call me a coward or a weakling i keep hoping your feelings will change that you'll stop your rambling and return to me it's so stupid dreaming to have back something that never was but even real relationships are 90 percent projection You see the one you want, rather than the one you're with. You ignore the flaws and discrepancies, so long as your ideal is remotely visible when you squint. When A and I got together, she'd tell me all about her exes. How and why things went sideways. She always talked about potential. Like there were hovels in need of a little TLC to turn into gems. But the first time we hit a rough patch, she left town. Guess that wasn't the kind of fixer-upper worth salvaging. Dear Anne, You keep writing even though I don't write back. Aren't you making friends in school? There's got to be a guy nearer than 5,000 miles away that you can lavish attention on. This sounds ungrateful. I'm flattered that I made an impression. We had so little time together. I waited until my last day to kiss you. I replay it in my head a lot. All the ways I should have done it different. How much time I wasted with family when I could have been with you. Maybe that's why I don't write. There's a lot of regret that comes up front and center whenever i read your name on the return address of an envelope in my p.o box they've been stealing my mail the last couple places i lived so i don't take any more chances pay thirty dollars a month to improve the odds of getting letters from lost causes and failures from my past like you that didn't come out right you're not the failure I am. Your name just reminds me, is all. It's not your fault. Maybe you're an optimist, or so desperately lonely in that godforsaken country that you send letters to a man halfway across the world who you have little hope of ever seeing in person again. I told you I'm never going back there, didn't I? You're the only good memory I have of the place. I'm including blood relations. Would you consider leaving? I know you love your mother and she needs you, but are you willing to sacrifice your happiness for an old woman's material comfort? Again, I know. Selfish. Insensitive. It's what you love about me, no? It's weird to fall for an art historian, like a cockroach falling for an entomologist. If we got together for real, would you spend our years together studying me? Squinting to determine their substance under a microscope? Would you you convince yourself you know what my paintings mean? Because you read a library full of books on the subject? Would I start to hate you for your theories and interpretations? The way you apply what your professors taught you to our life together? Would I cheat on you with your TAs at the university? Become an embarrassment to you professionally? A financial burden? I know these are daydreams because we'll never see each other again. You might write another letter or two but you'll eventually give up. I'm not worth it. Plus, one day on campus, a younger transfer student will catch your eye. You'll stay sem- semi-faithful to me, at least emotionally, for another month or two. But his excited and insistent way of fucking you will leave my one fumbling kiss of faint memory to make fun of as your heart returns to its resting rate sweat drying salty on your upper lip and the small of your back as you watch him drift off to sleep. You'll come back to mind at odd intervals, when more recent crushes fade. I won't compare you to them. You'll always have your own alcove, however remote, poorly lit, or modest in square footage deep in my heart. Dear T, you always say I'm your favorite. I never know how to take that, how to reciprocate. No way to match a big feeling that has to do with an idea rather than an actual person. You can't have another child, so you pour all the love reserved for the unborn into me. It's too much. It was too much even before I knew the reason for it. Don't get me wrong, I love the attention up to a point, but you look at me the way an animal does a piece of meat, something to be consumed, devoured, there's no way to react other than run away. After we left, you never recovered. I'm not taking the blame for how you ended up, but my absence didn't help. I know that. Mama made me write you letters and come to the phone when you called. I never had much to say. I know that hurt, but what did you expect? Whatever was in your heart that you believed was for me had nothing to do with me at all. It was misplaced and wasted on a person who can't receive love. That's not your fault. How could you know the person that came along when you had all that excess ardor would be cold and empty, unable even to fake affection, past cursory play-acting? Don't blame genetics. A child is more than the sum of its parents' DNA. Growing up, I observed them and wondered. It's strange being a child. Who are these big people who seem to hate one another but won't leave? They keep upsetting each other day after day, year after year. Why would anyone do that? Is that what love is? Finding someone who will take your abuse over the span of years. I saw them kiss once, I think. It was confusing. They'd leave me with you, and I guess go off to tear at one another alone. He gave me things they couldn't afford yet. Rare precious gifts reserved for the favorite child. Packages of Wrigley's chewing gum. Turns at a coin-operated video game. If I'd had any friends, I'd have bragged about these things to them. They would have been jealous. In children's society, Showing others what they don't have, then putting it back in your pocket, is the highest currency. For grown-ups too, now that I think about it, it's always about flashing what they don't have before their eyes a second, then making sure to hide it in a way to emphasize how your audience is being deprived. You offered me things others didn't have as a way to demonstrate your love but I didn't have anything to give you back. What could I have offered that could have satisfied you? Could anything? Later, when we saw one another after over a decade apart, you offered to set up a meeting with my favorite painter. You were still selling dreams, though now I knew they were ones you had no hope of making true. I had to humor you to spare your feelings. I knew to do that much. But below that surface gesture was the same feeling I had as a little boy. The absolute knowledge that I couldn't give you what you needed. Was this my flaw or yours? I still can't tell. I've recognized this inadequacy, this failure with others. Friends, lovers, co-workers, enemies. A mismatch of what's given and what's taken in return. Does anyone a- ever actually match? Meet in a true middle? Or is it always out of balance? One giving or taking too much. The other having nothing to take or give. Just letting it happen. Waiting. Hoping it would end soon. That the other would leave and stop loving them already. Boundlessness meeting a boundless hollow. Why couldn't you ever see that all your affections were wasted? Or is just giving enough? Choose a target, a direction rather than a particular person. And turn the spigot full blast. Knock them over doesn't matter. Don't bother asking if it's anything they want or need. You have so much to give, and you will give it, no matter that no one asked for it. The trouble with writing a letter to a dead person is you hope there's no letter back, but I have things I meant to tell you, and either couldn't or didn't while you were still topside. Good chance I never would have said them if I knew there'd be a response. Maybe that makes me a coward. I don't know. Is talking to a wall more productive? Is a wall a better ear than a corpse? Dear B, I was surprised to hear from you. It's been a while. I thought maybe we were done with each other after that last visit. People grow apart. It's what we do. Kids don't know that. They think their friends will be their friends forever. Rarely happens. Still, for all those miserable school years, you're all I had. Now I don't even remember what brought us so close. Sounds cold to type it out in ink on paper. When there are gaps in friendships, it gets hard To pick up the thread. What felt so sturdy, so permanent, now looks tired, insubstantial. I get weary trying to reconstruct whatever it was that tied me to you. Why did you write today? Are you feeling cast off by whoever you're with? Is it a cry for help? You always played so tough, but underneath the bluster, you're soft and weak. You romanticize childhood in embarrassing ways. Do you really want to go back to that kind of helplessness? All we were in charge of was what cartoon to watch or what junk food to swipe from Jaffs. You recount those awful years as if they were a paradise. I feel pity for you if that's what you truly believe. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and chalk up the whining and wallowing to the current breakup. When a thing falls apart, we shrink, retract into our shells, nurse our wounds. I guess your cocoon is packed with Stratomatic, Popcorn, and Warner Brothers cartoons. The chick walking out the door is tired of paying for your pot, tired of hearing your elaborate reasons for not getting a job. Sick of indulging your monomaniacal kinks in the boudoir. But all you can think of is a nostalgic yesteryear. Dear O, I can't forget the time we took the Amtrak to New York and stayed at the Chelsea Hotel. I wanted to live out that famous Leonard Cohen line, but couldn't. We tried and tried, but I couldn't get it up and you kept asking if we were doing it right, which didn't help. We never figured out how to have sex rather than talk about it. Wasn't until I got with a woman who knew what she was doing that I found out that the talking was a turnoff, oftentimes a deal-breaker in the boudoir. I bet the guy you got with after we broke up didn't have these hang-ups, The two of you probably chattered away through the night. You'd have left Leonard and Janice in the dust, swung from the chandeliers while reciting sonnets back and forth. Not me. Say a word to me in bed and I go limp. It's still true. The mechanics of the act never became easy or natural, no matter how kind and giving my bedmate was and most of them were reservoirs of patience and understanding. Once whatever comfort level required was reached, there was rarely any problems with the equipment, but explaining that it might take five or six tries, put off more than one lady. They thought I was impotent, suggested boner pills, or wondered whether I was gay or thought they were ugly. This was the furthest thing from the truth. If anything, my attraction and desire was the thing that froze me and made it impossible to perform. I psyched myself out so many times. Didn't bother acting on a feeling because of the dread that, were we to end up in bed, I'd weird her out or disappoint her. There were some good nights. But I barely remember them now. I hope you've had an easier go of it. You went off and got married, right? Maybe even had a kid. I'm sorry I haven't kept tabs. I always wish you well when you cross my mind. Even if I don't follow it up with a letter or a call. Last time I was in your town, I didn't tell you. You found out from something I wrote and published about the trip. I'm sorry, it never even crossed my mind to call you. Maybe you hold me in higher regard than I hold you. Perhaps our short time together mattered more to you. You were younger. Maybe that's what it is. When we got together, you expected me to be more experienced, especially in the sack. Is it aggravating to you that I keep dwelling on this failure of mine? Makes me just like every other guy ever, no? Not the special, unique man you thought you got involved with. No matter how sophisticated, complex, deep, whatever, if your dick doesn't work when you want it to, it'll fuck you up. No way around it. I remember the time I was visiting the town we met in, and you made a pass at me. I couldn't believe it. Did you expect me to be into it? Maybe you were hoping we could finally fuck the way we never did when we were together. But I didn't want to redo any of our past. I thought we were beyond all that. Friends who could laugh about what we'd put one another through. Clearly, no laughing matter to you. Or maybe you were just horny and lonely that night, and I was the nearest warm body. We never talked about it again, and it's been, what, twenty, thirty years now? There's a lot I remember fondly from our time together, but the clumsy fumblings in beds in several towns are not among the scenes I try to revisit. Do you? Is it important to fix those long-ago mistakes? Is that why you were upset I didn't call this last time? If that's so, I'm glad I didn't. Dear A, You say you hope I find what I'm looking for on your way out the door. You tell me you can't be what I want you to be, that I'm in love with love, I don't understand half the things you say. They seem like ideas you throw against the wall to explain to yourself why you're leaving. They don't have much to do with me or my feelings. I don't mean to say you don't care about me. You do in your self-involved way. Can anyone actually see or feel into anyone else? We have relationships with projections of others, for the most part, I believe. By making yourself the bad guy, you feel better about ditching me. You think you're softening the blow. If anything, you're making it worse. Because now, not only am I alone, but if I believe you were shit to begin with, that you don't deserve me, or whatever. I then have to admit I'm a bad judge of others. If I'm so great and smart and cool, how could I make the mistake of getting involved with someone like you? You left all the stuff that wouldn't fit into that little yellow car here with me. I have to wake up every day in this graveyard of our marriage. Some days I want to throw all your shit out the window, into the backyard and make a bonfire. That exorcise the demons you've left in your absence. Then you call and say you miss me, but you don't want to work things out. You just want to wallow in the sadness of failure. The way you describe failing again at a relationship, this time with me, after a series of failures with other men, sounds like a setback on a resume or your goal career arc. Rather than a human interaction with someone of your own species, this is failure like a work project that didn't turn out the way you'd hoped. You're taking responsibility, the buck stops with you, like no one else on the team could do anything to salvage the thing in the end. I've never worked in an office. So I don't have the language or training to make sense of my life, corporate terms.